I know we haven't had our audiovisual working on Thursdays just because very once in a while we let the audiovisual work on Thursdays, but I think we might just have to get them going. So we have to add to that department that we can have some Thursday night audiovisual going on, put some scripture on the big screen. So we'll work on that so we can be ready. Amen. First John chapter two, verse 19. First John. I know you don't venture in first John too often. First John. Verse 19. How many know the word of the Lord is true? All of it. All of it. Not just some of it. Even the one, even the areas in the word of God that I don't like is still right. Do you know there's scripture that I don't like? <laughs> but I do them. I try my best to do them. <laughs> Amen. And you right there with me. So don't let me feel like I'm by myself. There's some of the word of the Lord that you don't like. I didn't say I didn't agree with it. Two different things. <laughs> Amen. You don't want to fast on a nice Thanksgiving day. Okay. So <laughs> you don't want Thanksgiving to come and the Lord says, you need to go on a fast this week. I know it's Thanksgiving week, but you need to go on a fast. I'm sure you're not going to enjoy the word of the Lord that time. Mm-hmm. But First John 2, 19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. That's 2.19. And so, in our book here, we are on page 157. This is our final lesson in Follow to Lead, Making Disciples. You have the book. Maybe you want to go over it again. I think I might have gone over and read this book three times. You have the book. Use it. But tonight's lesson is entitled, Make a Disciple secure the future make a disciple secure the future remember what i've been saying and i've been trying to point out to you for a little while one of the great things about god one of the great things about god is obviously the spiritual realm was established Before the natural realm, it was. But what's amazing about God, with all what we might consider to be the complications of the spiritual world, a lot of things you don't understand about it, God says, I'm going to help you with that even before you get to know anything deep about me. I'm going to get you to understand a little bit how the spiritual realm works. And here is what I'm going to do to get you to understand that. 
I'm going to design the world that you will live in that a lot of the natural ways of how life and how things operate in this natural world is in relation to how the spiritual realm operates. So if you want to understand, to, to want to get some understanding sometimes of, okay, what does this mean scripturally? You can start to meditate on, is there a natural example? Is there something natural in this world as an example that can give me a, 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 an example, an illustration of me understanding this spiritual situation here? And so that's always a good way of approaching scripture that you don't understand. There's got to be some natural example, natural occurrence that you can look at and say, oh, for instance, a seed, a seed. If you plant a seed in the ground, the process is you put the seed in the soil. If the soil is messed up, probably won't grow. If you plant the seed in the soil and it never gets water, chances is it won't grow. If you plant the seed in good ground and water the seed, the chances are the seed will grow into a little tree. And then it will grow bigger as a tree. Then it will begin to produce fruit. Well, the Bible compares the word of God like a seed. The word of God does the same thing. It goes in your heart. What are we made out of? Dirt. <laughs> you want to be technical? Dirt, clay. So does the word of God go in here? You come to church and you worship and praise go on? That's like watering that seed. That's another reason why you're encouraged to come to church. Because when you come and you worship together, you praise God together, that seed, which is the word of God, is being watered. Then before you know it, it begins to grow in your life. It's growing. The tree. And before you know it, fruits are now coming off of you. And people are starting to think you're this great guy or this great gal. And you're like, my goodness, people never used to think I was this great. All of a sudden, I started going to church and living right. Now they think I'm great. Well, it's not you that's great. It's that seed that went in and started growing. It started producing good fruit out of your life. They did the same thing. One natural, one spiritual. And so I started saying that to say this to you. If we're going to secure our future... Me and you, secure our future. If we're going to set ourselves up for success, we're going to have to make disciples. Okay? Here's another example. Why do men, especially, desire to have a son? Come on. Anybody want to shout it out? Why do men want to have sons? Live vicariously? What's the other one I just heard? 
Oh, to make you keep existing after you stop existing. <laughs> right? Girls have to take on the husband's name. So really, yeah, she exists, but my name is no longer existing. Because she got to take her husband's name. So yeah, that's my daughter, but she don't have my last name anymore. But my sons, they will always have it. They carry it on. That's a natural thing. If we make disciples, what we will do in the earth will carry on even after us. This is why we've been talking about this for so long. Because we want to secure our future in Christ. And remember what I said. No selfish selfish individual, or let me be nice and say it this way. No one that practiced selfishness will end up in heaven. (laughs) If you practice being selfish, you will not make it there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, how are we going to demonstrate that we're not selfish? By sharing. This is what this disciple making deal. God is calling all of us to become disciple makers. When you become a disciple, it is your responsibility to make disciples of others. But you have to first become a disciple. So you are capable of making a disciple on your own. This is why the title of the book is follow to lead. Because you came into this with not a lot of knowledge, but you followed. And because you followed, you learned some things. Your life was changed. And now you are qualified to help someone else become like you. When you do that, guess what? Just like your natural children. I've got one, the youngest one, you are going to be in trouble if you tell him to do something that you're not doing. So if you want to preserve or you want to set yourself up for success as a Christian, why don't you go ahead and make a disciple like you? Because they will watch you and they will say to you, hey, Bob. I remember you saying that it's good if we pray all the time. And when we hung out for about a week, I only saw you pray like once. Is is You already know they're going to call you out, not in a bad way, but they're trying to learn. So now you're driven, motivated to lead by example. If you will become a disciple maker... It will put you in a good position to make it to the end. And so the text that we just read here says there are people, and we'll we'll read through what Brother Gleason said. There are people that come to church. They do all the things that you may do. They take on the formality of a Christian. But deep down, they were not truly converted as a disciple. 
They seem to be a disciple. They look like a disciple. They act like a disciple, but deep down, they were not a disciple. And so because of that, the Bible says, eventually they will leave us. Because they were really not of us. So maybe we need to read that scripture again. And maybe it will make a lot more sense to us. First John two nineteen, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. Are you going to be manifested that you're not of us? Remember, there's a scripture that says, Paul said, if me or an angel preach any other gospel to you, let us be a curse. Because what Paul is saying is, once you get this, this is what it is. And you don't wake up 10 years from now or five years from now and say, well, hold on. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And so we'll talk a little bit more about what this book is saying regarding those things. Any questions so far for what we're talking about? No? All right. Page 159, the first paragraph said, The Apostle John wrote, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. John said that those who left them were never of them. Then he appeared to make his point even more obvious when he said that they would not have left had they ever been a part of them. Who were these people? Obviously, they were initially manifested some brand or obviously they initially manifested some brand of Christianity, but somehow never became true disciples of the apostles' faith. They worshiped with them, fellowship with them, and apparently served the Lord in some capacity with them. But they did not stay because they never received the spiritual DNA of the apostles' faith. John told his readers that they were different than those who left because they had received the spirit and knew the truth. Of course, the question remains, could something have been done to make them true disciples? Question. Certainly. Either on their part or on the part of the apostles and other saints. But had they become disciples, they would not have left. Had they become disciples, they would not have left. So it is critical to understand the importance of you becoming a disciple. 
You have to question yourself now. This is at the end of this lesson, but let me throw it out now. If you are a bona fide disciple, you can't help but to make another disciple. You can't help it. Whatever you feel real convinced about. As a matter of fact, I believe all of us in here tonight have some convictions about ourselves. They don't have to be biblical, but you just have convictions. Whether it's how you raise your children, whether it's the way you do your work at your job, whether it's how you treat your home, whether it's how you drive your car, whether it's how you talk. to We all have some convictions, but there's a reason why you have those convictions. It's a part of you. It's who you are. And so if you are a true disciple, you are convinced and that is who you are. That's going to come out of you. It just come out your pores. It just flow from you. And you can't help it. You can't help but to talk about how good God is. You can't help but to tell somebody Jesus loves you. You can't help but to try to see when people are in need and try to help them. You can't help that because you are a disciple of God and you are going to mimic God. You are following God. Whatever he did, that's what you're doing. So you can't help yourself. If that's who you are, you can't help yourself. It's oozing out of you. And so, if we are really who we say we are, we will begin to replicate, reproduce ourselves. Very important to think about. Very important to think about. And so, if we find ourselves struggling with the things of God, we got to ask ourselves, am I a real disciple? When we make disciples, next paragraph, when we make disciples who are truly of us, like us, imitators of us we should expect that they will not leave us if you really become a child of god a real christian a disciple of jesus christ if you become that really really oh you're not leaving this you're not leaving this even in your bad times you're going to just be man enough woman enough to say I'm going through, but I'm not leaving Jesus. I might not be doing everything that I need to do right, but I'm not leaving Jesus. I met him. I've been imitating him, and I've lost my focus, and I've let something get in my way, and I've done some things I shouldn't do, but that doesn't mean I'm leaving Jesus. It just means I messed up, and I'm going to fix it or ask the Lord to help me fix it, and I'm sticking with him. But... If things get you to the point where the apple cart gets upset and you got a problem, I trust God that whatever he's doing in my life, I just need to deal with it. <laughs> Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 we're going to get hurt from this one right here. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's all get hurt from this. Verse number one, this is Apostle Paul. Be ye followers of me. Who? Who? Mm-hmm. Even as I also am of Christ. That's hurting us. Because you know what it means? All of us are going to have to follow somebody as they follow Christ. What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? <laughs> got what are you going to do about it? Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Many disciples were made by the Apostle Paul and still being made today from his reading. He says, follow me. Follow me. I'm following Christ. Follow me. The day you see me stop following Christ, then don't follow me. But if you see me following Christ, follow me. Because until God tell you to follow someone else, you got to follow who he tell you to follow. Listen, we have to be smart and realize if we could fix our problems and fix ourselves, we wouldn't need Jesus. Let's be smart. If we could handle everything and we could make our life just perfect and run just the way it wants, then we wouldn't need Jesus. Here is some more understanding to that. Therefore, because you don't know Jesus, but you need him, guess what? You're going to need somebody to help you know him, understand him, follow him. <laughs> Y'all got quiet on me. You got quiet on me. That's a fact. Everyone that started out, there's nobody was born out of the womb. Oh, I know Jesus and I'm going to follow him. No one. We all were born and needed direction. We all were born and needed to be taken care of naturally and spiritually. Remember what I tell you, when someone gets born again of the water and of the spirit, that's their spiritual birthday. They just got their birth certificate spiritually. Their journey just began. They're not all good because they're born again. When you came out of the womb, you weren't good. You were a bambino, baby. You needed to be, uh, had to be fed the bottle, had to be bathed, all that. You needed taken care of naturally and spiritually. So, why are you worrying about who's taking care of you? <laughs> oh, God, this is. Can you imagine our children when you was feeding them? This is why parents get so hurt to their core. Because you know, when they came out, mom, better than us, you fed them, not just with bottle. You got up before dad got up. You was, you was, you was sucking the snot out the nose. You cleaned up more diapers than dad. I mean, we can go on and on and on. And so you took care of them children. And they never said, don't take care of me. They needed it. They never said, don't feed me. As a matter of fact, they cried and said, feed me. 
They cried and said, I'm hungry. And they never rejected you. I don't want your food. I'm hungry, but I don't want your food. Did they ever do that? But we got spiritual babies doing that. (laughs) I don't understand it, but. And that's how you will know if you're where you need to be or not be. Because if, if, if the natural baby couldn't reject mommy and daddy feeding them and bathing them and taking care of them, why you as a spiritual person think you can do that now? You're out of order. <laughs> Help us, Jesus. Can't get around it. We can't get around Jesus. He is the author and finisher He is the first and the last. He is the creator. He's everything. When you get upset and you don't like a situation, go to him and fuss with him and complain to him. He's big and bad enough to handle every complaint you got. And don't you do nothing until he tell you. He don't mind you complaining. He don't mind you shouting. He don't mind you. ah, He don't mind you doing all that. And then you settle down and say, all right, God, what you want me to do? And you don't move till he tell you. You don't do anything till he tell you. Because here is what those babies didn't know. They didn't know how much protein they need. They didn't know how much iron they need. They didn't need know what kind of milk quality they need. They didn't know all of that. Mom and dad knew that. Mom and dad was giving that to them. They don't know the DNA of their parents. They don't know what runs in the family and what don't. They don't know any of that. And so... Mom and dad knew that, and mom and dad was taking care of that. So, we don't know what we need sometimes, and when God begins to give it to us, we fight with him. I don't like that. I don't want that. And God is saying, if you don't take that, this is why, I'll say this and move on, because we're making disciples. This is why some people have an adult frame, but still have a little person's thinking. Because you rejected so much of what daddy wanted to do for you. You rejected so much of what God wanted to do for you. You just did what you wanted. You picked out what you want. You got what you want and said, oh, I want this, but I don't want that. And you did all that. Guess what? Then that will dictate your growth. And so you might not be fully developed in some areas. Why? Because you determined what you wanted to eat and not what daddy told you had to eat. And that's a frustrating place to be because you know why? You know what we do now? When we didn't eat what daddy was feeding us and mommy was feeding us, when we didn't eat what we were supposed to eat, you know what we end up doing? We see other people grow and get stronger and more developed and seem like they're doing so much better than us. And we're like, I don't know who they think they are. And then now we start to get jealous. We let jealousy comes in. Now we let envy comes in. Now all these things comes in. And all it really came down to is you rejected some of the food God was giving to you. Uh, I don't want that. And the other individual next to you said, I'll take it. Give it to Mikey. He will eat it. (laughs) Right? Mikey ate everything. Well, we need to become Mikey's in this church. We We need everybody to be Mikey. You don't want that? I'll take it. Put it right over here. My dad was Mikey in our family. My dad used to tell my mom, he used to say, I don't like it, but I'll eat it. I don't know how he did that. We were growing up as kids. My dad always told my mom that. "Eh, I don't really like it, but I'll eat it. 
us as kids, we only wanted to eat what we liked. But we didn't have the choice, of course, because Jennifer was standing over you. You better eat that. I work too hard. Y'all understand, moms? You work hard and you bought what you can afford. When I was growing up, we ate a lot of hamburger helper. Yeah, complain about it all you want. That's what the family worked and brought home and you better eat it. Steakums, hamburger helper, whatever it was that you ate, you ate. And your parents watching like you better not waste it. I worked too hard all week to make money and you're going to waste it? Well, think about that from a spiritual standpoint. All of what God is doing for us and we're acting like, I don't want that, I don't want that, I don't want that. Hmm. Some that leave the faith apparently never were true disciples. Jesus said that he kept all of his disciples with the exception of Judas. Mm -hmm. Even Jesus experienced the disappointment of one that chose not to follow him. But his retention rate of 92% is better than most. What is your retention rate? Now, you understand what, what, the, what the scripture is saying, that Jesus chose 12 men to follow him. He taught them. He discipled them. And they was discipled and they became apostles. Right? And so what he's saying is, I chose 12. I discipled 12. But one didn't hold up. So if you take away one, if you do the percentage ratio of one, you know, minus it in the 12, you get 92%. So I remember talking about the Gleason. You'll be amazed depending on how your mind works, right? So when the, the guy that wrote this book, I was talking to him, right? And I said, Brother Gleason, I never read that part. I don't know if, why I didn't come across it. But I said, Brother Gleason. What's the percentage of the of one that left? He said 92. And when I read this, I used to just smile. I said, it's amazing how, depending on what your position is, you'll start thinking a certain way. And so right away, that 92% start ringing in my mind because now what I'm thinking is, as we disciple people, that's the number I need to keep in my mind, that we need to do everything that we can to disciple people, and hopefully the retention rate will be 92%. Yeah. Again, we're not doing this for any other reasons other than we love the Lord and we want to obey him. This is what this is about. This is not, you're not trying to, you know, stack up cards. You're not trying to stack up treasures in heaven. You're doing this because you love God and he commanded this and you're trying your best to be obedient. You want to please him. And that's why you're doing this. That's why you're making disciples. It's going to be very difficult to make disciples and not be a good example. First thing is, you reproduce what you are, not what you would like to be. You reproduce what you are. I was talking to, um, I was teaching a Bible study last night, and I was talking to the family that I was teaching the Bible study to, and um, the the wife said, I was in school today and the professor talked about how we um, we all came out of apes. And, you know, there's still that thing in there and all that. And there's, you know, you know Tom knows. The, the science, there's still some people, you know, teaching that science. 
But let me tell you the easiest way to respond to that, which was what I told the wife last night. You can't find anything, and you can correct me, Tom, if I'm saying this differently, if, if this is not true. You can't find anything that reproduces different than what it is. That's the easy way to answer that, Professor. Like, Professor, show me a dog that produces a cat. Show me a mango that produces a grapefruit. Just show it to me. When I see that, then I will start believing we came from apes. But we can't produce, apes can't produce humans. If they apes, they produce other apes. I'm just like, man. But you know what happened? He'd been teaching science for a long time. And the day he agreed to what I just said, which is right, all of those students that came through his class, all of what he has projected himself to be, I'm this great professor. It, 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 it is shattered because now it's not true. Listen, that's fine. A professor can do that. That's not a heaven or hell issue for him. It's not. He's just teaching the class to make money. But when we make that mistake in our relationship, in our obedience to God, that is a heaven and hell issue. That can determine eternally where you're going to spend your eternity. So we can't make that mistake. We can make mistake at our jobs. We can make mistake at a lot of different things. We can make mistake on our taxes. We can make mistakes on a lot of things. You don't want to make mistake on what God commanded you to do that you're not doing. Or you want to believe something totally different than what God says. You don't want to make mistakes on that. We want to truly obey that. So it's important to understand we reproduce after our kind. We can't reproduce anything other than what we are, who we are. All right. Whenever, this is Brother Gleason talking, whenever I am given the opportunity to speak with young people or ministers, I try to tell them what I believe to be simple formula for remaining true to the truth. First of all, it is imperative to love the truth. This is very heavy here. This is big. It's imperative to love truth. It's imperative to love truth. You heard what I said earlier. I don't like everything the word of God says. It has nothing to do with me saying is the truth. I never said it wasn't the truth. I said, I don't always like it. But if it's the truth, I better learn how to love it. Here's where we're going with this, because this is very important. Remember that truth is a person before it is a fact. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. How does one know if he or she loves the truth? You will know you love the truth when it excites you. While hearing it preached or taught, you will know you love the truth when a tear is brought to your eye while reading the word of God or celebrating planks of truth in prayer unto God. You will know you love the truth when someone, I'm sorry, when someone attacks the truth in your presence, and it incites a passionate response from you. Paul said that some would not receive the love of the truth. 
Now, let me show you this. We got to go to 2 Thessalonians 2 and 10. Now, here is some scary stuff. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my Lord. 2 Thessalonians. This is going to be some scary stuff here. 2 Thessalonians 2. We'll pick up in verse 10 through 12. So here's what 10 says. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So here is the word of God. If we don't receive the truth with love, we're going to be in trouble. Now look at what it says. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I'm going to read it for you in the book, but let me tell you this real quick, what that's saying. If we don't love the truth, if we don't embrace the truth, if we reject truth, the Bible says God will send us a strong delusion that we might believe a lie. Now, y'all ain't get it yet, because here's what's scary about that. It will mean truth. And lie is coming from the same person. Which means the lie is going to feel like truth. So now you think you're getting revelations of truth, but it's revelations of lies. And so now you're living your life on a lie thinking it's truth. All because when God introduced truth to you, you decided, hmm, step, stiff arm God. So when we reject, this is how it works. He won't send you a delusion just to send you a delusion. He's going to keep on giving you truth. Keep on giving you truth. Keep on speaking truth to you. Keep on preaching truth to you. He's going to keep on telling you truth. And you keep rejecting it. And you know what he says? Okay. I'll give you what you want. Start believing these lies. Just like it's truth. And you convince, you're talking to people, listen, listen, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is what the word of God is saying. And it's a lie. And you convince. And I'm sitting there like, you really believe that, huh? But you convince. Because God, God, not Satan, not the devil, God sent you a delusion to make you believe that what you're doing is really right. All because you decided that's truth. I don't want God's stuff. You decide you don't want God's stuff, so God make you believe. Let me give you an example of how that works. The Bible talked about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. What do you think? God made his heart a different heart? I'm going to make it tough. No, no. Pharaoh wanted the children of Israel to stay right there. He wanted them to work for him. He didn't want to let them go. He, didn't want it all. he just wanted all the bad stuff to happen to them. So God says, all right. I'm going to make your heart just the way you want it. And you know what I'm going to do? I am going to break you. You know I'm going to break you? I'm going to let your heart be hardened for all the things you want. 
And every time Moses come to you and said, let my people go, because I made your heart just the way you want it, not the way I want it. Just the way you want it, I made your heart like that. So every time Moses come to you, you're going to reject Moses. Get out of here. And then it will be an opportunity for me to show my glory. And I'm going to keep on doing it. And here is the end of it. Because your heart was messed up and that's how you wanted it and you didn't want it changed, I left it that way. And guess what happened to you? You drowned in the Red Sea. You chase, you chase the Israelite. You wouldn't leave them alone. You would not leave them alone. You just kept chasing them and chasing them and chasing them because guess what? All you wanted to do was just make them slave for you, make them labor. You, you wanted them to serve you and you were never going to change your life. And God says, okay, I'm going to let your heart stay just that way. And that heart stayed just that way and destroyed Pharaoh and all his army. God didn't change his heart. God made his heart stay that way. So for all of us, we can have a messed up heart right now. But just realize it is. Just realize it is and says, God, my heart is messed up. I'm liking what I like. I want to do what I want to do. I'm feeling what I want to feel. But I know it's wrong. I need you to do something with this heart, Lord. Don't let it be like this. Don't let my heart stay like this, Lord. Don't let my heart stay like this because it will destroy me just like Pharaoh's heart destroyed him. It will destroy me just like Judah's heart destroyed him. Don't mess with my heart, Lord. Get this stuff right for me, Jesus, because I don't want to get destroyed. That's what God will do if we reject his word. He will send us a delusion to make us believe a lie. So look what Gleason wrote. If this is the case, then he said they would become a candidate to receive a strong delusion from God and would become capable of believing a lie. I have heard people trumpet their new revelation, something heretofore they condemned and say they received it from the Lord. If this revelation came as a result of failing to receive a love of the truth, then in fact they did receive their revelation from God. You catching that? What 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 he's saying is, we, sometimes we want we don't want to listen to the truth. We said, I'm get I want a revelation from God. You can tell me all you want, preacher. I'm getting my revelation from God. And the preacher's telling you exactly what the truth is, but you want your revelation from God. And God is saying, Oh, you do? I'll give you a revelation from me. It just won't be truth. That's scary. We only know the loving God that loves us, teddy bear God. You know, that's the only God we know, the teddy bear God. We don't know the one that corrects us. We don't know the one that chastens us because he loves us. We only know the teddy bear God. He's like, oh, he's so cozy. So it says here, then, in fact, they did receive their revelation from God. In such a case, deception feels just like revelation because they both came from God. Loving truth safeguards us against deception. Loving truth safeguards us from deception. Listen, at first... It might be a tough pill to swallow. 
but just keep on swallowing it. And if you swallow it long enough, you'll start to like it. Our parents taught us this a long time ago. A lot of the kids didn't like vegetables. (laughs) You see where I'm going? You know, and now we're adults talking about, yeah, give me some more broccoli. Give me some more cabbage. What? You hated that thing when you was young. But they forced you. They made you. And now you love cabbage. You love peas. You know, you love broccoli. You see what I'm saying? Beets. I don't like that. Beets. Beans. Okay. Beans, not too bad. I can mess with beans. But the point is, we have to love the truth. And when we love it, it safeguards us in God. But the moment we start fighting with the truth, it's going to challenge us. Next paragraph is second. It is of primary importance that young generation connect with elders. That's all I'm going to read from that one because there's three things he lists that is good for us if we want to be strong in God. And the first one was love truth. Because if you don't love truth, God will send you a delusion that you may start believing a lie. The second one is we have to have elders in our lives that will listen. You've heard me say this before. And I'll say it again. I have this, and I hope you have this. If you don't have a man of God or a woman of God in your life that can point their finger in your face and say, you're wrong, don't do that, do this. If you don't have that, you're in trouble. I'm just telling you. I wouldn't have it no other way. I got a few. I wouldn't have it no other way. I don't want to live this Christian life without someone being able to do this to me and say, Wayne, absolutely wrong. Don't you do that. As a matter of fact, you better do this. And I want them to be that hard on me. This is too serious for me to want any pity pat and make anybody trying to, uh, he's going to be all right. No! I want somebody to be hard with me when they need to and straight me up. You're wrong. Get it right. That's not how you do it. I don't need him to say it real nice. <laughs> Matter of fact, y'all heard Brother Coon when he came here. When that dude get real serious, man, he gets serious. I remember I was at a meeting, a district meeting one time. Brother Coon was officiating it, right? And this pastor kept going, and he kept going, and he kept talking. And Brother Coon just turned around and said, sit down, you're out of order. In a business meeting with all the pastors there. He just sat down. We didn't hear nothing else from that preacher. <laughs> that's, that's one of the men I got in my life that do that. I'm okay with that. This is too important to me. I want to get to heaven. So if I'm going off to the left, I need somebody to point to me and say, you're wrong, Wayne. Get it together. I'm trying to make disciples. And I don't want to mess them up because if you're going to be a disciple maker and you're messed up, you're going to mess somebody up. You watch and see how this works. People normally end up being like the people who invited them to church. Uh-huh, you want to check that one? So if you invite someone to church and you're kind of discipling them and you like to miss church, they're going to miss church. If you're not in any ministry doing anything, they won't be in any ministry doing anything because you're discipling them 
and you're discipling them to be like you. Whether you like it or not, that's what discipleship is. You're teaching somebody to do to be like you, to do what you do. That's what discipling is. So if you invite someone to church and you're teaching them and you're being an example, they're going to be like you. If you don't pray, they won't pray. If you like to give people a hard time, they'll give people a hard time. That's what you're gonna that's what you're coming up with, right? So it is in the spiritual, so it is in the natural. Listen, I like to make examples, and I just use the examples that I have. My oldest child, my wife and I, when we used to drive and we take trips, my oldest child, he would sit in the middle of the car. In the back seat, he will sit in the middle of the back seat and pull right up between the two seats like this. And all he would be doing is listening to our conversation. We got to always push him back. Now, sir, get back and stop listening to our conversation. He will butt right in and all kind of stuff. And we would get so upset. Like, listen, grown-ups talking. Get out of the business. Jordan is Nasir on steroids. <laughs> and listen to this. You ready for this? We don't have enough time. But I'm sure if you go and ask my grandmom. If I was nosy and like to listen, I'm sure she's going to say, yep, because I know what my nickname was when I was a child in Jamaica. I'm not even going to tell you that one. Not good, because I was always in the business and act like I was grown. So I grew up acting like I was grown, and my kids grow up now acting like they're grown. I'm producing who I am. You're going to produce who you are. I just use that to let you know that's just how life works. So when you see your kids, you're just like, oh, my goodness. they got. Just don't even go crazy. Just know who they got it from. It's your DNA working in them. Just say, you know, I'm sorry. So, so it is in the natural. It is in the spiritual. So the bottom line is if you invite somebody to church and you flaky and they just start coming to church, they're going to be flaky. <laughs> Can't get around Jesus, man. All right. Let's try to finish up here. The third thing is, go over on the next page, 161, second paragraph down. Third, the preservation of apostolic integrity requires moral purity. Moral purity. So the three things is, Love truth, have an elder in your life that can connect, that can correct you, and you have to try your best to stay morally pure. If we don't stay morally pure, if we don't love truth, and if we don't have an elder in our life pointing our wrongs and correcting us, it's easy for us to go in the wrong direction. It's easy for us to, to, to not become a bona fide disciple. Just think about this. Huh. For those of you that's been in church for a good little while now, just think about the days where you felt like you was just being strong as a Christian. You was young. Mama Allen can go back to her days when she's just getting there. Mama Thomas can. I remember. Let me tell you. They will tell you. They had all three of these. They loved truth. They had an elder, probably was their pastor, an elder in their life. You better not. And then... They were morally pure. And that made them good disciples. 
If we're going to be good disciples and good disciple makers, we got to let those three things work in our life. Listen, I'm giving you the information. Don't you panic sitting here thinking about it. You don't have this one. You don't. don't even worry about it. My job is to help you understand what you can do to be the best that you can be to be what God wants you to be. And so don't you back up or worry about when you hear me talk about something and you're saying, whoa, I'm not doing that right now. It's okay. You, now you know. Now it's supposed to be at the focal point, the front of your brain that says, I have to start working at this. So we have to work on making sure we're morally pure. We have to work on making sure we have elders in our life that when they says, Mm-mm, you just say, okay, sir, I got it. No problem. I ain't fussing with you. I'm going to trust because I trust God. And we have to love truth. So when the word of God is looking a square in the face, nothing to talk about. That's what the word says. I learned a little bit that if the word can't settle whatever is wrong in your life, you'll never be able to be settled. It's the only, listen, the word of God is our greatest authority in the earth. Not the policeman, not the, not, not the constitution, not Congress, nobody, nothing. The, 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 the highest authority in this earth is the word of God. If it can't settle it, you in trouble. If we ever talk about, well, I don't agree, you are going to be off. You won't, it won't work for you. Because that's all we have. God's not doing anything different. He's given us the word of God and says, what did my word say? This is why he can say in Luke chapter 16, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them obey them. He will not change from the word. And so he's saying, you have my word. You're not getting anything else. You can act up all you want. You can fuss all you want. You can say whatever you want. But God is letting you know you have his word. And if you can't obey that, you are in mm, grave trouble. You're not getting nothing else. Now, every once in a while, the spirit will work and everything like that. But the word of God we have always because it is the authority in this earth. And so, page 162, last paragraph says, one of the obvious requirements of making lasting disciples is to possess spiritual DNA of authentic oneness Pentecostalism. Jesus said that the disciples of the Pharisees were doubly the children of hell, Matthew 23, 15. They reproduce in their disciples the spiritual DNA of their own destiny. Disciple makers must examine their hearts, actions, motives, character, and ambition to ensure they have the capability of reproducing authentic apostolic practice in their disciples. As we have emphasized in another chapter, it does not require Christ-like perfection to make a disciple. The greatest attitude of disciple-maker is to be real. The effectiveness of a disciple-maker is incrementally reduced when there is hypocrisy, a lack of integrity or absence of authenticity 
when the prospective disciple observes these character flaws, the result will be a loss of respect. The closer you get to someone, the more humanity it is possible to see. Authentic disciple makers, however, actually look better the closer you get to them. Closeness may reveal warts, blemishes, and freckles, but it is the character it but if it but if the character is pristine and is the Holy Spirit is operating within them, within the disciple, will not become discouraged. So when someone, you're leading someone to, and you're making disciple, they will get close to you and they will be able to see, as the book want to describe, your freckles, your warts, whatever. It is, but they are supposed to still see godly, Christian, apostolic authority and character within you. So they will see the humanity, but they will see the God in you as well. So the closer they get, the more real it should become for them. People see you. And they see you out, they're saying, okay, yeah, you know, that's what they expect to see from a Christian standpoint. But when they come to see you in your home or at work or whatever you're doing, and they still see that Christian godliness, that's when it becomes real to them. And that's why disciple making is you're taking someone along on the journey that you're on so they can see everything about you. And that's why you have to become now an example and you have to have credibility and you have to do it right in order to make disciples because they're watching you. But guess what? It develops you as you are leading them. And that's how you can secure the future because you're leading them by being the best example you can be, by being the most godly human being you can be. And they're watching that. You're practicing that. They're watching that. And they're trying to be like you as you're trying to be like Christ. That's how we make disciples and that is, I'm telling you, you are getting the remedy to be a successful Christian. I'm telling you, this is no slight on nobody. But, but most churches don't teach you how to be this consistent and this, uh, you know, give you this, 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 this give you this, this opportunity to stay in the game. We, we can't put. We can't let emotion be the driving factor in, in, in our longevity in Christ. When I feel good, God gets the praise and the glory. When I feel good, I live right. When I feel good, I do all the things that they're saying. But when I'm having bad days or I'm busy or things are just not working right, eh, I'm just doing what I feel. You do that when you're not being a disciple maker. Give you a good example. When you shift your mindset to become a disciple maker, even when you go on vacation, even when you go on vacation, you can't help yourself but to carry yourself a certain way because you know I have to be an example just in case something goes down here in the Bahamas. That's, that's how it works. And so... When I sit down at the dinner table on the cruise and the, and, and the waiter comes over, <laughs> there's a place on one of my, on, on the night shifts that I go on, a restaurant called Chops Grill. 
And I have to always go to Chops Grill no matter what. It is just, oh, love me some Chops Grill. But here's what I'm getting ready to tell you why I love Chops Grill. No, this is not why I love it. Why it's a challenge. But I go to Chops Grill, I always do. So, let you in another secret. So my deal is, in my life, as I was transitioning and before Christ, part of what I did was, I was a bartender. I know all the wines. I can, I can, I can battle with the best of them. I know all kind of wines. People that, I see a lot of folks now today, they all in the wine thing. Yeah, we had this, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. I know wine. And, I, and, and when I used to serve, because I never served at just any kind of restaurant. It was always top-notch restaurants. And so I knew every kind of wine to recommend when you sat down to eat dinner. So if you was having fish, I knew what to tell you. And whatever kind of fish, I knew what it was, right? If you was having steak, if you was having chicken, I knew exactly what kind of re- wine to recommend. And yes, it goes wonderful with your dinner. I knew that. I had it down pat. And so when I go... On vacation. And I go and Chops Grill. And Chops Grill is a steakhouse. And they bring me over a porterhouse. Or a cowboy. Or something nice. Man, a nice Merlot would have been perfect, Bob. A nice Merlot would just make it perfect. And the waiter would come on, come over we like some Merlot this evening or some Cabernet or some Pinot Noir or whatever, whatever. I said, no, I don't drink. And that's the end of that. I was on vacation. Who knew me but my wife? Nobody else don't know me. I could have told him bring me a nice glass of Merlot and just hit it off with my steak. But I'm a disciple maker. <laughs> I'm a disciple maker. And another reason why I brought that up is I probably have a greater desire to have that wine than most people because of what I know about it. So some people will think, well, you don't struggle like we do. Okay. If you want to believe that so you can do what you want, go ahead. I know what it is. I once had a trip. This is how big time it is. I once had a trip to Washington State Winery in Seattle, Washington. Let me tell you how the trip was. They flew me and my buddy from Newark to Tacoma, Washington. They picked us up, put us up in the Hyatt in Bellevue, Seattle. They, every expense, everything was paid. Then the big day was they drove us out to a field. We caught a six-seater plane, flew over Mount St. Helen, and flew all around Seattle and landed in the vineyard in Seattle to a wine tasting we were tasting wine all day long. We was eating jumbo prawns like this. We was eating the best of the, the best, me and Cousin Bill. You know why we got there? Because we sold the most wines. I got temptation, people. 
But when I gave my life to Christ, I decided that this is how I have to live. This is what I have to do. And you do your very best. And you, if I wasn't a disciple maker, I'm sure I would have been sipping. I'm sure of that. But because I'm a disciple maker, because I'm a disciple of Christ and I'm doing my very best to try to please him, I try to always have my antennas up. I'm supposed to be an example. I'm supposed to be an example. And so let's close with this. Uh, Turn the page. We're on page 164. Second paragraph. Other religions and cultures, groups understand the power of making disciples out of their children. Muslims, Roman Catholic, Amish, and other groups have developed strong methods of ensuring children do not depart from their parents' belief. In some groups or culture, if one leaves the faith, he or she may face disinheritance, shunning, or even physical harm. Reaching children at a young age is especially important. Children are purposefully and systematically indoctrinated under strict religious rules or in specialized schools. For many groups, their method of growth has relied heavily on their success in making disciples of children. Jesus secured the future when he made disciples. I shudder to think... Where the church would be today had he not done so, as opposed to only spending time with the multitude. Jesus knew that he had to reproduce himself in 12 men and pass on to them his spiritual DNA so that nothing would be lost when they went, when he went away. Maybe they didn't do absolutely everything 100% the way he would have done it if somehow he could have continued to direct them physically on earth. Does he always get his perfect way among us? The scripture is clear that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. That's Ephesians 2.20. This means that the foundation... The, uh, the, the, the foundational stones of the apostles were consistent with the original stones, not in preeminence, but in kind. Last paragraph, and we're ending here. One of the saddest verses in the Bible in Judges 2 and 10. And also all the generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. God took Moses aside and invested his truth and power in him. Moses took Joshua aside and made a disciple out of him, leaving the Israelites in capable hands when he died. Moses brought them through the wilderness and Joshua brought them into the promised land. But this verse described a bleak condition that sent Israel into the dark and oppressive period of the judges. 
Could it be that Joshua made no disciple? Freedom is never won conclusively, but every generation must fight for it. We cannot risk losing ground by failing to make disciples. While in college, Dr. James Dobson's goal was to become the school's tennis champion. When he won the tournament, he was elated that his trophy was prominently displayed in the school's trophy cabinet. Many years later, someone mailed his trophy to him. They included a note that said they were doing some renovations and found his prized trophy in a trash can. My friends, given enough time, all of our trophies will end up in someone else's trash can. How many of us could recall our own great-grandparents' first name to forget you? Within a few generation or generations, you will be completely forgotten. This is why we must make disciples during our lifetime. Who is your disciple that you are investing in to make sure that when you are gone, that your apostolic DNA will remain on this earth? Pastor who are you training now to succeed you, thus ensuring that your years of labor will not be destroyed by a non-disciple? Dad and mom, do not let your faith and value be lost in the lives of your children. If they have stayed or strayed lost, if they have strayed from the faith, then go make disciples of sinners and adopt spiritual children to carry on your precious apostolic life. Of course, never stop praying for your own children to come back to truth. Make a disciple secure the future. I don't know if I have anything else to say. Any questions as we finish up tonight? Anybody have any concern? Anybody have any thoughts about you being a disciple maker? We do ministry in church. But all of what we do should be highlighted by you having the mindset that I have to make disciples. Remember, disciples can be in the church that you're in. What does that mean? Someone might come to your church that's not a Christian. They're not saved yet. And so when they come to your church and they're not saved yet, guess what? You befriend them and start to help them know who Christ is and minister to them. And that will allow you to become a disciple maker. So that's what you can do. You can meet somebody at work or at school. Wherever you meet them, you can meet them and become a disciple maker. So you can do it in your church. So when we have guests on Sundays, meet them. See how they're doing. See if you connect with them. Remember, part of this teaching is we are supposed to make strangers become our friends and our friends become disciples. It is our job to reach out to people, love them, and help them to know who Christ is by discipling them. When you do that, you're securing your future and their future. If you want to, if you try living for God by just doing everything for yourself to please yourself and be selfish, you will never make it to heaven. There will be no selfish Christian in heaven. There's no such thing as selfish Christians. You can't be a Christian and be selfish. So if the mere fact of you now becoming a Christian is focused on just you, you will never make it. That's a fact. 
And I don't know how many preachers tell people that, that if you just focus on you, developing in Christ and coming to church and worshiping God, you will never make it that way. It won't work. God call us the body. And the body is not one member. The body is many members. Yes, ma'am. There are two judgments that will take place at some point in time. One is called the white throne judgment and one will be the judgment seat of Christ. So when we die out of Christ, we go to hell. But hell is not the final destination. When we die in Christ, we go into the presence of God. So the final place for those that went to hell is the lake of fire. The final place for those that died in Christ is heaven. This is why you heard me said nobody's in heaven. I don't care what they told you. Nobody's in heaven but Jesus and the angels. All that has died as Christians, they are in the presence of God, but they're not in heaven. Mm -hmm. He's not in heaven. Nobody's in heaven. We don't have any scripture to prove anybody's in heaven. As a matter of fact, read Acts chapter 1, and it tells you not even David is in heaven. Nobody's in heaven. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus ascended, and he's the only one that has ascended to heaven. So there's nobody else that has ascended to heaven. Everybody else is in his presence. So everybody that left this earth, they are either in the presence of God or they're currently in hell being tormented. Now, even while you're in hell being tormented, once you leave, once your spirit leave this body, yes, your body is dead. But your soul still lives on. So a human being never truly die for what we know, but the Bible, for the sake of us understanding, say, you died. But what it just means is this body, you shed this body. So what's going to happen is when the rapture take place, those that are in hell, this is how amazing God is, right? They're going to be able to come back in front of God to be judged. He will pronounce his judgment on them to tell them why they're going to the lake of fire and not heaven. And then those of us that will stand before God at the judgment seat, he will tell us what our responsibilities will be in heaven. Because in heaven you still will have responsibilities. So the Christians go before God, get their instructions for how heaven will be. Those that died outside of God, God, because again, he's just, he is going to say, 
lake of fire because this, because this. He didn't have to do that because he's God. But he's still going to tell them, due to this, due to this, due to this, lake of fire. So those are the two judgments that we will read about, that we will experience, one or the other. The white throne judgment or the judgment seat of Christ. No, the, the reason why you see ghosts is because there is demonic spirit and they pose. They're posers. The demonic spirit are posers. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. Remember what dreams are. Dreams are your subconscious conjuring up things that you picked up on throughout your life and throughout your days and your weeks and your months. So you can dream stuff that seems real to you because it's your subconscious bringing things back to your consciousness while you're sleeping. Those are dreams. But when we're talking about um, um, spirits, the spirits that you will see will be demonic because the angels of the Lord will not, they will not test you or tempt you or treat you, uh, you know, to, to, to tease you or to, to mock you. The angels of the Lord are there to comfort you. The angels of the Lord are there to, to aid you and to, and to make you believe something that is not, they wouldn't do that. So sometimes we hear people say, oh, you know, I, I saw so-and-so. Why would God let you see so-and-so? That's the question. Why would God let you see so-and-so? And here's the question. When you see so-and-so, why so-and-so can't tell you really what's going on? So, either demons are pretending or you're having a dream. Just the way it goes. You're welcome. Anyone else before we close out? Yeah, because there's no experience to answer that. Right? Remember what I said dreams are. They're experiences that conjure up from our subconsciousness. But when we're sleeping, our subconscious is at work. And so that's how we get dreams. So you're wondering, why did I dream this? It was in your subconscious. Our mind is so amazing that there are things that you don't pay attention to throughout your day that your mind pick up on and just deposit. Pick up on and deposit. Pick up on and deposit. And so when you lay down, and you rest in your mind, that's when the subconscious is conjuring up these things that you paid attention, that you didn't pay attention to, but it picked up on. That's how awesome your mind is. And so now you're laying there sleeping and the subconscious is, mm, bring that back before you. Bring that back before you. Because it's something you were thinking about. It's something that you probably picked up on in your spirit, but you didn't pay attention to it. And that's why you have it. But you can't dream something that, you can't get answers in your dream to something that you never experienced. And I know sometimes you think you didn't experience it. Your subconscious was picking it up as you were walking, talking. Whatever you did throughout that day, that month, that year, whatever, you picked up on something that you didn't think you picked up on. How many times we hear things and we act like we don't hear it and then we remember it later on? Right? So your mind is always at work, but sometimes you're just not dealing with it. But your mind is picking up, and that's how we dream. And so there's a lot of dreams that we're having that is just stuff that we, the subconscious at work. And so we say, well, is that God? Is that the angel? No, that, that's.
Mm-hmm. 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 